podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. Awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Those words are from Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is quoting from a hymn. It's a great thing to quote from hymns. The songs that we have sung on our journey of faith, often, if we've been in the church for a long while, from ages ago, they continue to inform and instruct and anchor our thinking. It's great to praise God with songs and to live in our faith with prayers because these things enable our faith and they drive our journey. Do you quote hymns? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. One of the most popular songs of all time. And it has within it the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a hymn line that I quote every once in a while. It's from ages ago, from my childhood. We don't sing it anymore. It's probably a North American hymn, so lots of you might hear it in the same way as you hear Paul's hymn, thinking, I don't know that one. But it's meaningful to me. It comes from an old hymn, and I often find myself saying it when I'm feeling weak or very aware of my sinfulness or very aware of my failings. And it's, it's a line that talks about the wandering heart, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Paul's doing the same thing here in Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to talk this morning about how we celebrate the resurrection and how we keep the resurrection, this glorious truth that we are acknowledging and singing about and recognizing this morning, how we keep it front and center in our daily living. Because that's where the energy is. That's where the significance is, to live as resurrection people. So I want to look at a prayer that Paul prays in chapter 1 of Ephesians, and a hymn that Paul quotes, which I've just quoted, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, and to think about the way in which these these two things, this prayer moves us, and this hymn moves us, and to invite us to think about our own journeys of prayer and worship and celebration and keeping resurrection hope front and center, resurrection truth a defining factor of who we are as God's people, resurrection power at work in our lives. So let's look at those two things in the order that Paul gives them to us. The prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, and then the hymn in Ephesians chapter 5. And the prayer is a prayer that moves and it grows and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes. It is a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. And he says, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
And we are so privileged to have Paul write out for us the way he has been praying for people, the way we can pray for each other, the way we can pray for ourselves. So listen to this incredible prayer. And I warn you, it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing until it gets all out of control. Come with it. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Can you hear the prayer growing and growing and growing? And so this prayer invites us to think as the hymn does. Where are we at the start? And where are we invited to be at the end? Where are you? Where are you in your life experience and on your journey and with the things you're grappling with? And this prayer comes to you wherever you are. And it, it comes to us where we are in our own stories, in our own experiences, embedded in our own stuff, and it invites us to be in God's story, to know our place in God's glorious, amazing story. Paul says, ever since I've discovered that you have an interest in Jesus, that you have a faith in God, that you are leaning in and wanting to walk this path, I've been praying for you. And I just keep praying that God would give you a kind of a spiritual insight so that you could know God better. Because when you know God, it just changes everything. And that is my prayer for the church. That is the prayer that I pray constantly for us and in my own life, that we would know God better. And then Paul pushes in. He says that you would, that you would know about the incredible hope that we have because of the cross and the resurrection. That you would know about the church, which is God's inheritance, God's people working together to do amazing things in God's creation, and that you would know about God's power for believers. And this is the center bit. Sometimes in Hebrew ways of thinking, you look for the most important thing, not at the end, but in the middle. It's the way they wrote lots of their poetry, and it's the way they often prayed. The important bit is the middle, and the middle bit is the resurrection. That you would know... God's power, his incomparable power that is at work for believers, it's the same power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. So what kind of power is at work and available for the believer who is wrestling to follow Jesus? The same kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead. What kind of power is available to the church as we seek to bear witness to Jesus Christ? The same kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead.
That is a glorious and wonderful hope that there is available to us in our journey of faith God's power, the same power by which he raised Jesus from the dead. And this can move us from our own stories into God's story because the prayer keeps going. And it says that's the power that God used to put Jesus, to, to not only raise him from the dead, but to seat him at the right hand of the Father and to, to unfold the glorious new creation hope in Christ and to give to Jesus everything. And then Paul just gets carried away. I mean, really, he uses the word everything or a derivative half a dozen times. It's just all. It's everything. It's big. It's awesome. It's huge. And you are invited to be a part of it. To have your life enfolded in God's story is such a wonderful way to live. What's going to happen next, God? I don't have to know because I know the one who is in control of history. I know the one who holds the whole story of the universe in his heart. And I am in his heart and held in that story. What could be more incredible? I want to get, show you a picture this morning. This is an image to help us think about the resurrection of Christ, but from a different perspective. In the West, we often do artwork and imagery that depicts the empty tomb. But the, the Orthodox Church focuses, and particularly on Saturday, on the victorious work of the dying of Christ and how significant that is as it unfolds in his resurrection. This is an Orthodox icon. It is a Ukrainian Orthodox icon. And it depicts what is sometimes referred to as the harrowing of hell. So at Jesus' feet, those are the broken gates of hell. He is standing on the broken gates of hell, having vanquished every, every evil and having, having overcome death itself. Harrowing. That's the word that we use for a plow, you know, thick metal spikes breaking up the earth, harrowing the ground. And that's the imagery. Jesus breaking up hell, breaking down its doors and crumbling up its reality. And in the Eastern tradition, the celebration of the victorious work of Jesus Christ, what he's accomplished he has destroyed evil itself and broken down the gates of hell and abolished the influence and the power of evil. And then you see him pulling two people up. That's Adam and Eve, whom he is pulling up out of their graves. New life, resurrection truth, hope, and eternal promise. Figures from the Old Testament to, uh, to the right and figures uh, from the New Testament to the left. And the different icons sometimes feature different people, but there's usually King David in there, who, whose throne is now surrendered to King Jesus. And there's usually some of the apostles. And this, this wonderful tradition that uses image and picture to help us think and reflect and remember the story. Where are you in that story? Where are you in that picture? 
Paul prays that his believers would have their eyes open so they could see Jesus as the glorious, risen, resurrected Lord who is harrowing hell and raising the dead and leading us victoriously into an eternal promise. If we had a week, I'd show you more of these beautiful pictures from the Orthodox tradition because they've got images to help us think about the risen, seated Christ who is reigning over us all such beautiful ways. This is a Ukrainian Orthodox icon, and I found it on a letter from the Ukrainian bishops greeting uh, believers in the midst of the tensions and the turmoil of our world, in the midst of the tensions and the turmoil in the Ukraine. And one of the deep challenges is that religion and religious ideologies can actually be quite damaging and quite divisive. This was an invitation to unity and an invitation to look to Christ and to be brought together. Because if church people don't have their eyes open the way Paul is praying, if church people don't experience God and know him better as Paul is praying, if church people lose sight of what Jesus is doing in this, in this wondrous, glorious, big story, we tell little stories. We stay caught in our own stories, and we do more damage than good. We fight, and we harm, and we hurt. And so Paul is praying for his believers that they would be moved out of their own stories into God's glorious story. And he's praying for us in that prayer. And we can pray for each other, that we would know God better, and that we would, we would experience this power of resurrection as the power which is at work for believers. This is a power that can help you change. This is a power that can help you address what is wrong, what is broken, as you pray, as you lean on God, as you wait in him. This is a power that's real in the world. And it's a power to be embraced and to be lived into. In fact, it's a power that we should sing about. So let me come to the hymn that Paul quotes. Paul quotes this line from a hymn that's probably based on all kinds of wonderful um, insight and material in, in Isaiah and in Malachi and all over the scriptures. He says, and I say to you this morning, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Where are we before this song and after this song? Where are we as this song comes to us, and where are we invited to be when the refrains of this song have washed over us, and we have heard and we have received? Awake, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Hymns celebrate truths. Songs are a way of expressing the, the, the beauty of what's in our heart. And Paul says a very interesting thing when he writes to Christians. He says, you ought to sing your songs and, 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 and sing to one another. Exhort one another with songs and spiritual songs and praises. Really interesting idea. 
to, to actually sometimes sing, not just yourself, some songs are written that way, to God, but other songs were really meant to turn to the people around us and say, awake, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Where are you as this hymn begins? Really important point, actually, because it'll affect how you hear these words and whether they will come to you as a gift or, if they will, or, or will they come to you as, as a weight. Let me tell you where you're not. You are not postured as an employee or, 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 or as, as a student writing an exam. You are not postured as one receiving orders. You are not postured as an employee with the creator of the universe ringing you up and saying, get this down now. I want you to wake up. I want you to rise from the dead. That's your to-do list for today. Come on, get on with it. You do not receive this hymn as a to-do list. This is an invitation. This is exactly what it says. Wake up. When my wife says to me in the morning, she having gotten up and me still lying on my pillow, are you awake yet? It's time to get up. She's not asking me to put that on my to-do list. The words are doing the thing that she is inviting. There's a philosopher by the name of J.L. Austin, lived in the middle of the 1900s, wrote complex philosophy, some beautiful stuff, and he wrote a, a delightful little book called How to Do Things with Words. And one of his philosophic insights is sometimes the way we use words in language, the words themselves do the thing. The words that we use are performative, he says. So, for example, when I conduct a wedding and I, 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 I marry a couple and I declare them to be married, the words have done the thing. Or another example, a friend of mine who is celebrating the anniversary of their coming into life in this world, and I say to them, happy birthday. And if they were to say back to me, I'll work on that, they would not have understand what I meant, or they're in a very dark place. Because the words are the doing, yes? The wishing of happy birthday, the very use of the words, is the thing. That's the way you receive this hymn. You're not an employee at your desk taking instructions. You are dead. You are lying next to Lazarus in his tomb when this hymn begins. You are in a place of deep inability. And it is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ that calls to you and says, awake, sleeper. It is the voice that is the power that God exerted in raising Christ from the dead that says, arise from the dead. This is not on your to-do list. This is not God saying, come on, look lively, come on. This is God, the voice of God, the power of God, calling you into life in Christ. And if when you receive this hymn, you start knowing that you're lying next to Lazarus in his tomb, and it is the voice of Jesus that is calling, then the privilege is to answer that voice, to awaken, to rise up, to come out and let Jesus take the grave clothes off of you and to live in that hope and that wonder. 
And where are you at the end of this song? And the light of Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you. It's one of the big themes of scripture is the shining presence of God. It's there everywhere again and again, sometimes prayed for, so often offered, and it is where we live at our best. So Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Those are words that God gave to Aaron with which to mark the children of Israel, with which to declare over them their identity and the truth of who they are. A people who live in the shining presence of God. A people who live, who live with their faces toward a God who has his face turned toward, toward us. That's what we are called to be. The disciples were up on a mountain, three of them, and they saw Jesus shining, called the transfiguration. And they could hardly stay awake. Now there's a picture. There's a picture of our, of our, of our journeys and of our experiences. But when they did wake up, oh my goodness, what they experienced and what they are called to live into. So every morning when you wake up, hear this invitation. Wake up, sleeper. And maybe it's a loved one whose voice starts the call or a, or a, a nasty noise on your alarm or, or some music that you've worked out to play. But if you can step beyond that and hear the voice of the creator of the universe calling to you, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and lean into God's story. Lean into your privilege and promise. Christ will shine on you. And that is how we are called to live. That's what it is to live as God's resurrection people in the light of this resurrection every day, again and again and again. Every morning when you wake up and you swing your feet over the edge and plant them on the floor and stand up to face the day, Respond to this call. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. And walk in that shining hope. Live in that glorious presence. Know that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work for believers. And know that this is a story that unfolds in the glory and goodness of God that gathers up everything. And you are in this story. Wake up. Arise. And Christ will shine on you. Let's pray together. Loving God, today we celebrate with prayer and song the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the most glorious and wondrous truth such a story. We pray, God, that you would help us to know you better. We sing, God, with gratitude for your gift of salvation and the wondrous hope of resurrection and the eternal promise of life in your kingdom. Oh, Lord God, help us to respond. Help us to believe 
Help us to lean into these truths with deep and profound conviction and to embrace them. Help us not to push the prayer away or reject the hymn, but to accept, to accept the, 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 the beautiful words of calling. Lord God, we love you and we worship you and we celebrate your power at work in the lives of believers, at work in our world for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we respond this morning, yes, we will awake. We respond this morning, oh God, yes, we will rise in response to your power of resurrection at work in us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, shine on us. Shine on us, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing in praise. <laughs>